following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Um, oh, hi. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Advent devotionals. Um, here is the deal. There's a box of them back there in the chair by the door, and we would like to give you one uh, each. For well, not each each, but for each family, we'd like for you to take one of these Advent devotionals, and we're going to be reading them together. There's a reading for every uh, day in the month of December until Christmas. Um, so for each household, I would invite you to take one of those out of that box um, and be blessed by it. And then we'll read those together. And, and um, typically we post on uh, Facebook or something so we can kind of interact a little bit about what we've read. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's uh, our gift to you. Um, I say our, your gift to you. I mean, whatever. It's a gift from somebody. Yeah, <laughs> right. So anyway, um, those are there up in the back for you. So please help yourself. So we are going back to 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, We're going to continue our work through this second letter. Uh, Today we're going to look at verses 10 through 15 um, of chapter 1. That's page 1018 in the Pew Bible. We've been um, we've been looking at this first section of Peter's second letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, which in the first century were uh, the churches spread through northern Turkey, what's now northern Turkey. Um, but praise God, um, He has preserved His word so that. We can read it almost 2,000 years later, just as it was first delivered uh, and translated into a language that we can understand. I don't think we're ever going to truly and fully appreciate what a gift that really is, um, that we can have God's words that were written so long ago say exactly the same thing now that they said then and be able to read that in English. Um, Lots of our brothers and sisters gave their lives for that great privilege. So, anyway, I, I, I know I said we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 15, and we are, but we can't look at just those verses by themselves without examining them in their context. Uh, so, we're going to read um, verses 3 through 15 so that we can preserve some of the continuity of the context of our text this morning. So let's look at it together. Second Peter 1, start at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the confusion that is in the world, or the corruption that is in the world, excuse me, because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are so grateful that you've called us into your presence today as a family. We're grateful for your word, that you have preserved it over the centuries for us, that you have allowed us to freely read it, to freely talk about it. I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would apply it to our lives, that we would be different, we would be changed as a result of our time together in your word. Lord, we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, early on in the life of our little church family here, um, the elders adopted a statement uh, that that became a kind of measuring stick for everything uh, that we that we do as a church family. Um, if somebody had an idea to do something and it really didn't fit with our with our little phrase, we didn't do it. Um, we haven't done that perfectly, and I'm sure if you've been around for a while, uh, you could make a case there have been some things that we've done that didn't fit exactly. Um, sorry. Um, our, our little statement was making and maturing disciples. That was where we started. Like the whole, that's what, I don't want to call it a purpose statement because it's just an overused term. But that was just kind of our measuring stick. If it wasn't about make, making and maturing disciples, we didn't, we didn't want to do it. Um, and uh, that, that statement got amended um, to what, what we hang on to now, and that's making and maturing disciples together as a family. Um, the way that we are and the things that we do are all kind of squeezed through that. That's our paradigm. Um, and whatever doesn't make it through that wicket just doesn't make it. We don't do it. It's that simple. 
But what isn't simple is exactly what maturing disciples means in our statement. Um, Or at least it may not appear that way at first. Making disciples is easy enough to understand. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Right? Um, That's, I think... I think that's easy, calling people to faith in Jesus through the gospel, telling people the good news that Jesus died in our place, that we can be forgiven of our sins and reunited with Father God simply by trusting in Jesus Christ. That's how disciples are made. When a person puts their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin, they become a Christian. They become a disciple. That's that's it. But that begins the journey, not ends it. Um, The journey of maturing as a disciple, uh, meaning that once a person is saved, they're just getting started. That's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the journey. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, we don't just board the cruise ship and uh, the cruise ship called Salvation and sit on the deck waiting patiently to arrive at heaven's port. Um, As we discussed last week, we're not passengers on a cruise ship. We're crew members on a battleship. Um, We're each expected to do our part to serve the captain, to serve the crew, rescue those around us that are drowning in their sin and welcoming them aboard to become part of the crew through faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter laid out a list of qualities that are to be added to our faith. And this is a picture of what maturing as a disciple means. Um, The the list of qualities added to our faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, all born out of faith in Jesus Christ. There's a movement today, um, just do all of those things Don't worry about the faith part, but just do all of those things and you'll get into heaven. I mean, you're good enough, right? You never killed anybody and you're kind and you're loving and you're smart and you, you know, whatever. That's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. All of these things must be born from faith in Jesus. He said in verse eight and nine. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Having and increasing these qualities is what that's what maturing as a disciple looks like. Um, once we come to faith in Christ, it's our responsibility to learn and to grow and increase these qualities in our lives. And when, uh, when we don't do that, we become ineffective and we become unfruitful. When we don't, as Peter said, we willfully close our eyes to the truth of our salvation, having forgotten that we have been forgiven of all our old sin. We forget because we're just on the ship and and now we don't have to I don't have to think about anything other than, you know, where's my Mai Tai? 
bring me my uh, whatever. Um, that's just cruising, and that's not maturing, and that's blindness. That's ineffective and unfruitful. Now, all of that is the introduction. That brings us to our text for this morning. I didn't want to re-preach last week's sermon. It was hard enough last week. We don't need to do it again. So, here's our text for this morning in verse 10. I apologize because I discovered this week that the version of the English Standard Version that I'm going to read is is uh, updated from the ones in the Pew Bible. Sorry but I think you'll get it. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The virgin in the Pew Bible says, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, or be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Really? Okay, so my pew Bible is older than your pew. I don't know. Something something happened in there. It, good news, it means the same thing. <laughs> There's so much that we can talk about in these two verses, and lots of people have talked about a lot of things in these two verses. Making your calling and election sure. Boy, we could have some real fun. This this is just dripping with good theology. Well, I hope I didn't get your hopes up because we're probably not going to do anything like that. Peter uses some of the same words several times in this whole text that we've looked at in chapter one. And one of the words that he uses at least three times is the word for diligent, diligent. He says, make every effort in verse five. Um, It's the same word that he uses in verse 10, to be diligent. Um, Only here he admonishes the church to to kick it up. He says, be all the more diligent. Um, And he uses it again in verse 15, that he himself will make every effort, or he's going to be diligent to make sure that everybody remembers the things that he's been saying. Be all the more diligent. And just as so just as the church is to be diligent to add to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love, we are to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure. And if you're into reformed theology, this is bread and butter right here. Calling and election, predestination. Man, this is, yeah. Well, this phrase has often been separated from its, um, it's been separated from its context. And that's led to a great deal of confusion about what Peter actually meant when he said it. So calling and election, these are two thoughts that go hand in hand. John Calvin said, if you don't want to separate them, it's okay with me. So I I feel like that's permission to say these are very closely related. Um, They go hand in hand. And one is dependent on the other. And the main idea of these two is is the idea of election. That which election 
is when God in his sovereignty and grace chose people out of the world for himself. And then in his omnipotence and grace, he called them to faith in his son, Jesus, not based on anything that they had done to deserve it, but based solely on his grace. He has called, he has chosen people and called them to himself because he did. If you need more explanation than that, you're going to have to take it up with him. Uh, he chose you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, it's because he chose you and called you to himself. Right? That doesn't mean that we're not involved in the decision. No, nobody here is a robot, I think. I have some suspicions. But you, you are involved. Your will is not uh, erased by these ideas. There is, there's so much um, debate about these ideas, but the Bible is very clear on this truth, that God is sovereign. He is the one who does the choosing and the calling. Just as he chose the people of Israel out of the world to be a nation unto himself, he has chosen us out of the world to have and called us to faith in Jesus Christ to be a people for his own possession. Okay, it's the same, same idea. But if we leave this idea all alone by itself, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, think about what that does to you. It would seem like, at least to me, that God needs further convincing. Like you have to make every effort to make sure God was right in his decision or that, yeah, you really are numbered among the saved. You've got to prove it. Um, so that's wrong. Um, just just to be clear, God is not the one who needs convincing. He is absolutely sovereign. His choice is sure. It, his choice has been made from before the beginning of creation. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, it's because God in eternity past willed it so. And when the time was right, he called you to faith in his son. Now, for some people, that's a flipping on a light switch moment. For others, it's a long process of being dragged through a knothole backwards. Um, but either way, it's God that's at work. And he called you to faith in his son, and you were made a disciple. So now that you are a disciple, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to mature. You need to grow. You need to um, move forward in your faith. This isn't just an abstract idea of impossible to measure mystical growth. Like, what does it mean to grow as a Christian? Well, I, I don't cuss as much as I used to, or at least not in front of my kids. You know, or uh, I don't do this that I used to do, or I don't do that like I used to do. I don't sin quite so much as I used to do. I, I don't know about that. Um, I, I don't know. If, if that's what Christian growth looks like, I think, I think we need to read. We need to keep reading here. I didn't write any of that down. I go with the text here. Listen, listen to the verse again uh, for, with more, a little more context. Verse 10. 
Therefore, brothers, now again, this is the word is Adelphoi in Greek. It's brothers and sisters. Uh, it, you're all in there. Anyway, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I read a statement this week I've never, ever thought about before. And it was just, it's mind-blowing to me. Um, It was written by uh, J.P. Lang. He said, depend not on the case of the dying thief. Depend not on the case of the dying thief. Who's the dying thief? There are two thieves crucified with Jesus, right? One mocked him, and one asked Jesus to remember him when he came to his kingdom, and then died. And but Jesus said, "You will be with me in paradise." Right? How many people do you know think they have time? How many of you think you have time? We have no idea. The dying thief should be an encouragement for those who are converted on their deathbed or those of us who have been there when someone finally said, Lord, forgive me, um, mostly out of fear than faith. But still, it's never too late. It is never too late for someone to come to faith in Christ, to be forgiven of their sin. I've told the story a thousand times. My, my grandpa was 88 when he gave his life to Christ. Uh, it is, it's never too late. However, the case of the dying thief is not an excuse for us to wait to the last second. Now, that case could be made just for faith, but it can certainly also be made for growth, for maturing as a disciple. I've got time. I am not old enough to really have life figured out. So I don't really need to get on a boat with that whole maturing thing. You know, I have faith in Christ and I'm good. And I'll get there when I'm old and, you know, I don't have anything else to do. So I might as well read my Bible and pray more, you know. Being diligent to add the qualities to our faith, the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love This is how we make our calling and election sure. That's what Peter is telling us. It's how we confirm it to ourselves and to those around us. How many people that you know or how many people in this room, like you know you're a Christian, but does anybody else? Confirming your calling and election means that you are adding to your faith these things, virtue and knowledge and godliness and self-control and steadfastness. And those things are an increasing measure in your life. People are going to notice that. People are going to see if they've known you for more than five minutes. Well, it used to be like this and now not so much. Maybe you're just getting old, right? I don't think that's it. This is conscious. This is, this is being all the more diligent to do this. The Christian life requires God's grace for our salvation. 
and also requires our diligence to live it out. I think that we, we live in a culture where effort is a dirty word, and we have to make it the secret ingredient in our house, right? And that's a joke for us, but it's true. You're just supposed to get it all, right? You come to Jesus and poof, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're finished. You're completed. Friends, that's not even close. Calvin wrote, John Calvin wrote, labor that you may have it proved that you have not been called nor elected in vain. The picture is, maybe this will help you understand. When you come to faith in Christ, a foundation is built for a house. The foundation is built. And that's it. Right? And we have to build on that foundation. And, and we do, whether, whether we're super diligent about growing in our, in our virtue and knowledge and, and these things, or if we just kind of like, eh, whatever, just kind of cruising. Either way, we're still building, but it's the qualities of the building materials make a difference. Paul addressed this idea in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. He said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, it will be known, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." So this is the point that Peter is trying to make. The foundation is Jesus Christ, right? You come to faith in Christ, the foundation is laid. And nobody can build a different one. It's Jesus Christ. And then we start to build on it. Peter says, use building materials such as virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These are gold Precious stones, silver. This is quality building materials. But if you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, well, let's lay those things aside. And I'm just like I'm nice to people now, and I don't I don't cuss so much anymore, and I don't do some of the you know things that people say are bad anymore. I don't drink or smoke or swear or chew, and I won't go with girls that do. How how's that go? Right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Wood, hay, straw, stubble, flammable. Okay? That that if that can't be it. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love. That's what we are to build on this foundation. 
through faith in Jesus, the boat that we're on, I like this is super mixed metaphor day. The boat that we are on will make it one day to heaven's port. It will. And our diligence to mature as disciples, to add to these qualities, add, add these qualities to our faith, to use these building materials in our house. Peter and Paul both agree that the materials we use to build are going to determine the type of reception that we receive. Think about that for a minute. Like Paul says, you make your house out of stray, like one of the three little pigs, straw, like one of the three little pigs. They're dumb pigs. They have no idea. You you might make it through, right? The foundation survived and you made it. But you're saved, but only as through fire, right? You're, the hair of your chinny-chin-chins are all singed, but you made it. If you, if you build your house with precious stones and gold and silver, these virtues laid out by Peter, the reception that you receive in port is you, you get to sail in with your flags unfurled and they're blowing the trumpets and hooray. If you don't, you may just be like paddling in on a plank. You made it just barely. This isn't about guilt, but encouragement. That diligence is required for us. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to make it. But it could be so much better than just surviving. Jesus said, I came to give life and that you might have life abundantly. We live in a culture that says, if you do this, like if you live this, if you really believe this is true, you're so, you're missing out, man. You're missing out on all the good times that you could have. Um, I don't agree. I, I like the idea of coming into port and there being a party when I get there. Right? And that's what that's that's what the word is saying here. And Peter he says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I'll make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is no joke. This is important. This is what should define our lives. We have faith in Jesus Christ, and as a result, we are trying our best to build on the foundation that's been laid for his glory, by his grace, through his power, because we can't do that on our own, obviously, because we're just, well, I'm me. I don't know about you. I'm just me. But with the Holy Spirit's help, things change, and we can do it. 
This is absolutely possible for these virtues to be increasing in our lives. I think I could just yell about this all day long, but I'm not going to. Peter knew his departure was soon. He knew that he had to get this out to the people. He said, I'm going to do everything I can while I'm still here. And I know my time is short. But I'm going to make every effort. There's diligence again. I'm going to be diligent to make sure that you remember. How did he do that? He wrote First and Second Peter. He um, most, most likely uh, dictated the Gospel of Mark. He did everything that he could so that the church would remember these things. And I like that. And I think we all ought to take up that same mantle to remind ourselves and each other all the time. We need to be adding to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the foundation of faith that has been laid in us. That we know, that we know, that we know, through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven and a place has been reserved for us in your eternal kingdom. We have been adopted as your children. We have been made new creatures. We thank you for these wonderful promises, your very great and precious promises. Lord, we thank you for the challenge to build on the foundation with quality materials. We admit, Lord, uh, we struggle. I struggle to, to, to do this, to build, to, to do what is necessary, to be all the more diligent to make my calling and election sure. It's easy to forget. It's easy to to shrug off my responsibilities. It's easy to listen to the enemy who says this really isn't important. It doesn't none of this stuff even matters. Lord protect us from the evil one. Who would love to tear down everything that you're building in us. I pray Father that you would empower us by your holy spirit to build on a foundation of faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. May these fruits abound in us, that people would see that we are elected by God and called out of the world and that others may join us. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.